We are starting a journey through the book of Acts. Now, Acts is a long book, so we'll probably be here for a while. But we are starting a journey through the book of Acts today um, on the mission of God. Because one of the things we found through our four to five week series we were on is that a lot of the reason our attention has been hijacked is because we did not know what we were supposed to be giving our attention to. Um, The actual statement we made was, we do not have a sufficiently clear sense of what we ought to attend to. Now, I'll say this. When I see people who are bored or people who can't find something to do or people who are just like, man, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with my time, I think, you do not understand the mission of God. There's a lot of work to do. I hold my phone for a day, and you'll say, we're overwhelmed. There's a lot going on. You get three calls from prison, and you got no answers, right? I don't know what to do. Do I give him money for getting himself in a Bible pot? I don't know. Do we house this person who's needing a new place to live? I got two calls this week for people moving to my house. Two calls. So what I'm saying is, there's plenty to do. It's just whether or not we know what it is we ought to be attending to. Now, I'm not saying all of you need to be, you know, getting people out of drug debts in prison, and all of you need to be opening your house, but I'm not not saying it. Um, so here's, here's where we are. God has, since the creation of humanity, had us on a mission, and this was prior to sin. So this is prior to um, the gospel needing to be preached. God creates man, and at the time, man is both man and woman, all right? Eve is named Eve after the fall. I always have to make that distinction because we'll come to that one day. Um, But man, mankind, man and woman, are created, put in the garden, and they're told this. Here's their command. Here's their mission. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and somebody help me. Genesis 1. Be fruitful, multiply, Replenish the earth and subdue it. Subdue means to conquer. All right, at the time, it's vegetables, fruit, God, man, and woman. What is there to conquer? This is important for us, right? There is something that is opposed to creation that God has sent us to conquer. And it's not another person because all the people were on the team. Right? So there were these forces that somehow God had said, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth, and subdue it. And somehow, in being fruitful, multiplying, and replenishing, replenishing the earth, we would somehow take what the garden was and just steadily, slowly grow it until the whole earth was covered with the knowledge of God as the as the water covers the sea, basically. That was the hope. Now, that mission is still a part of the mission, which is to triumph over the principalities and powers of darkness that we cannot see. Those are still enemies we are required to subdue. And we're going to talk a lot about engaging with principalities and powers because that's a weird conversation. I want us to press into it in the next couple of weeks. Another mission happened after the fall. Okay, so after uh, Adam rebelled 
and ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and sin invaded the earth. Now we were on this restoration project, basically to restore what was lost in the garden. Now, unfortunately, the way this corruption was going to take place is that now it was inside the seed of Adam, and every other human created was going to be infected with this cursed, plagued seed. So now everybody that was going to be born was going to be born with something in them that also needed to be conquered. So not only now are we trying to conquer and subdue principalities and powers of places we cannot see, but now we're trying to subdue and conquer something that is born inside every one of us. How many of y'all are familiar with that thing that you were born with? That you didn't choose your propensity to destroy yourself. You didn't decide to have that. You just inherited that by being a child of a human who was a child of a human who was a child of a human who, go, 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 go back, was a child of Adam, right? So this is where we inherited all this stuff. So these are our two missions. We're still to subdue and conquer the principalities and powers, and we're still to be restored into a creation that has crucified the cursed seed and inherited a blessed one. This would have been a great Father's Day sermon for last week, right? Now... Because the cursed seed always passed through the Father, the only way to get rid of the curse is to live a new life with a Father who is not, does not possess a curse. Jesus comes into the world as the only person since Adam who's not cursed. How does he do it? Born of a woman, but of a daddy who wasn't cursed. And has now given us the invitation to be born again with a Father who isn't cursed, so that we don't have to walk around bearing the consequences of a decision we did not make. And we're able to walk around not bearing the consequences of a decision that we did not make because God took care of it by bearing the consequences of the decision that we did not make. All right, so we're going to get into all that world. I'm just trying to paint you a big, broad picture of where we're headed. So... Against the backdrop of a good creation that has become corrupted by sin, God sets out on this long quest to restore all creation and the entirety of human life from the ravages of sin. God's mission, this is important for us, and we're going to talk about this, I hope, a lot in dialogue here in a little bit. God's mission is his long-term intention to bring about a renewed, restored heaven and earth. God's hope is to renew and restore heaven and earth. In the end, God does not set fire to this planet. This is important for us. Why is this important, Cody? Because there is a form of Christianity that has a semblance of radical Islam. Except where the radical Muslim would strap a bomb to his or her chest and try to expedite the end of the world. There is a Christian posture where we would rather hole up in our churches, stock up on ammunition, and say, God, provide me some sandwiches and some beans while this booger burns to the ground. It's an escapist form of eschatology. One of, the, one of our favorite 
Elevators are our favorite sort of um, escape routes. It's one called the rapture. We like it. We like the idea that, all right, things are going to hell. I ain't worried about it. See you. What is Poof. That's how we play this thing out. Right? Things are going to hell. I ain't worried about it. Poof. That's our Christian hope. Poof. All the while, God has been, his long-term intention is to bring about a renewed, restored heaven and earth with a new restored people, a restored way of living. I won't even tell you something. A restored ecology, which I'm going to be careful when we get there. I know how to be careful. The life of God's people is, from the beginning, directed outward for the sake of the world. God works in and through his people to restore the blessings of his good creation to people of all nations and ultimately all creation. I want to speak plain to us. It is not a godly posture for us to look at the world unraveling and falling into entropy and say, At least I got the hope of the rapture. Because our responsibility is to be a blessing to the nations who are cursed. This has always been the responsibility of God's people. So when the book of Acts comes around, there is no New Testament. So they're not getting their direction for what God has called them to do from the New Testament. They're getting their direction from what God has called them to do from the Hebrew Scriptures. Going all the way back to Genesis chapter 12 when God called a man in his old age named Abram and he said, Abram, in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. In you, Abram, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Here's what's interesting. When God renames Abram, guess what he adds to Abram's name? Ham. Guess who in this new creation, because this is just post the flood, all right? This is just post Noah and his boys. One of Noah's boys gets cursed. Do y'all remember who it is? Ham. Ham is the son of Noah who gets cursed for a perverted sexual act toward his father, which we won't get into today. When God calls Abram, he goes ahead and adds the cursed son onto Abram's name. Why is he doing this? Why is God taking Abram, adding the cursed son, Abraham, and saying, in you, I'm going to rename you, you're now Abraham, all the nations of the earth be blessed. It was a picture showing us that no matter what person it was, he was redeeming all nations. He was restoring the whole thing. When we say nations, it's important for us to get this, that word is the word ethnos, which just means ethnicity. So it doesn't mean that God is restoring the Soviet Union and God is restoring China and God is restoring the United States and God is restoring Honduras. What it means is that God is going to restore all ethnicities. That is what we're talking about. We're talking about nations. So, y'all still riding with me? I got to paint a big picture because it's a big old book. Um, Acts chapter 12, or Acts chapter 1, verse 12 is where we'll start. 
in a very unlikely place to start. They returned to Jerusalem from the mountain called the Mount of Olives. This is 112, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered Jerusalem, they went to the upstairs room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James, were there. How many is that? That's 11, because we lost one. Who did we lose? We lost Judas. So we're down to 11. You'd think... All right, Jesus has been with them. He appointed the 12 of whom Judas was one of them. He appointed the 12 for what reason? Somebody want to tell me? Why did Jesus pick 12 disciples? Say it again. Yes, the, he was, they were symbolizing the restoration of Israel. So they had to have a representation from all 12 tribes. So the reason Jesus speaks 12 as opposed to 10 as opposed to 15 is because this whole thing Jesus was doing is this form of prophetic theater saying the promises that have been made to Israel are coming to pass in what I am doing now. I'm restoring Israel. I'm restoring the 12 tribes. All these continue together in prayer with one mind, together with the women, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a gathering of about 120 people, and said, Brothers... The scripture had to be fulfilled that the Holy Spirit foretold through David concerning Judas, who became the guide for those who arrested Jesus. For he was counted as one of us and received a share in this ministry. Now this man Judas acquired a field with the reward of his unjust deed, and falling headfirst, he burst open in the middle, and all his intestines gushed out. This became known to all who lived in Jerusalem, so that in their own language they called that field Hakeldama. That is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, Let his house become deserted, and let there be no one to live in it. And let another take his position of responsibility. Thus, one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time the Lord Jesus associated with us, beginning from his baptism by John until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness of his resurrection together with us. This is important. Why would... The f- this is right at the beginning. We ain't even got the Holy Spirit here yet. All right? So Jesus has ascended. He's told them to wait until the Holy Spirit comes and they're filled with power. And they're sitting around. And the first thing they do is say, oh, shoot. Judas is gone. We got to fill that slot before this thing can actually take place. Why is it important for them to fill the slot? Do you hear anything else? So we get who we get after. Here we go. Here's how we get him. Here's how the rascals do it. Like, All right, um, Matthias, you be heads, Justice, you be tails. God help us. All right, Matthias, you're it. You're the you're the next one. That's all they did. They just we could threw some dice. I guess that'd have been probably a little closer. And we don't hear another thing about this rascal. He's the front page news of the book of Acts. And we don't get another word. Here's why. What they understood that we don't is that God was restoring the promises of Israel. 
And it was essential for them to move into the expression of being the fulfillment of the promises of Israel. They had to have 12. That's all they needed. We just got to have this in place. Reconstituting the 12 is one of the most important steps in preparation for witness to Israel. Choosing a 12th member of this core group of witnesses implies an acceptance of Jesus' commission to be his witnesses in the new situation following his death and resurrection. This is an act of faith in Jesus and a first step in obedience to his new call. What we're going to see over the next couple weeks and probably months is they were picking up on this story that had been 4,000 years in the making that was now being fulfilled. Now, are we good there? Judas has been replaced. The 12 are constituted. Somehow they pick up on, oh man, the mission that we've had since Abraham is continuing now through God's people. Now, how many of y'all have ever heard of the word mission or missionary? When you hear that word mission or missionary, what do you think? Going to Africa every time, right? As a kid, that's the only place you could go. In my head. What is a missionary? Just standard thought. Melissa, someone who goes outside the church to reach folks. Jazz? Someone who spreads the gospel or good news. And this is important. Because if the gospel is a few words, then it would be easy to send folks out to share the message with a few words. And so we have something, I'm going to call it, y'all don't hate me, I know he is the second best thing to Jesus. I'm just using his name as a label. We have this thing I would call the Billy Graham gospel. Here's what the Billy Graham gospel says. There's a problem. The problem is sin. God has made provision in the cross of Jesus Christ for this sin. And your response, if you put faith in Jesus, will save your soul. That is the gospel, right? Yeah. That is an expression of the gospel. So what we would do if we had missionaries is we would send them out to say what? Convince the people. They have a problem, and the problem is sin. But don't worry. Because God has provided provision for our sin in the cross, and the way then you can receive that provision is through accepting what Jesus has done. Well, how do you do that? How, how have you been told to do that? Confess your sins. So I could bring you up to the front right now. Kaylee says, I want to be saved. The, the traditional method that most of us inherited was, Kaylee, say this. Say, uh, Jesus, I repent. Jesus, I repent. I believe with you with my whole heart. I believe in you with my whole heart. Something like that process, right? And then we would send her away with the pastoral stamp of approval of Kaylee, you're now saved. We could even write her a um, certificate so that she could mark it so that whenever she was whispered by Satan, hey, Kaylee, you're not saved, she could go back to that certificate. Now, is that a part of what Jesus did? Yes. Is that the gospel? Not all of it. Now, when Jesus comes, they're throwing around the word gospel 
in the very beginning of the book of Mark, before Jesus has been crucified, they're throwing around the word gospel. They don't have to explain the word gospel. The word gospel was a word that was all around these circles. It was the word euangelion, which is where we get the word evangelist. So euangelion was a proclamation that happened every time there was a turn or an exchange of leadership. So if, if King Nebuchadnezzar was knocked off his throne and King Daniel was, was, was put on the throne... There would be a proclamation sent out. A euangelion would go throughout the town and it would be proclaiming, Daniel is Lord. Nebuchadnezzar's been dethroned. Daniel is Lord. We're under new rule. There's a new reign. This is what was happening. This is what John saw. John saw, oh goodness, the thing we've been waiting on this entire time is happening. God is restoring the world. This is the gospel. And this is what we as a church are going to spend a lot of time hashing out throughout the book of Acts. You okay with that? So, there are several different iterations of the gospel at this point. You have the one that is what I would call the conversion gospel where someone is convinced that they need a savior. They go through this process of receiving that savior. And then in that process are then sort of secured eternally. Now, if you have questions about that, I want to, would love for us to talk about that in a minute. Um, there are a few more Gospels that have been presented, though. One uh, is the fourfold Gospel, which is what most of us who were raised in the charismatic church understood. It was that not only did Jesus come to save souls, but he also came to do what? Give abundant life. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. So salvation... The emphasis was on the Greek word sozo, which means, which means saved, healed, and delivered. So salvation meant that not only was your soul saved, but your body could now be healed, and your mind and spirit could now be delivered from the oppressive weight of, of sin. Is that true? It absolutely is. There's another one called the liberation gospel, which basically means that Jesus is the revelation of God as a liberating presence in the world, where Jesus comes to say, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing um, when he quotes Isaiah 61. And so the liberation gospel people find people who are oppressed and join themselves to them to fight against oppression because they say this is what Jesus has come to do. Has Jesus come to deliver the poor and set the captives free? He has. That's the form of the gospel. There's another one called the social gospel that took off in the 40s. 1942 was its big wave. A guy named Walter Rauschenbusch. Y'all familiar with Walter? Basically, the church becomes a volunteer training operation for the work of God's justice in the world. So the church exists, and this is a lot of what Episcopal churches are doing right now, a lot of high church, United Methodist churches are doing. Basically, they're finding social justice missions and pouring their resources into them. Is that good? Sure. Is it the fullness of the gospel? At this point, you can get the way I'm communicating. No, it's not, right? The gospel is this proclamation simply of this. Jesus is Lord, and everyone who thought they were is not. Well, what does that mean? 
who is threatened if Jesus is Lord? Because somehow this proclamation gets him killed by the imperial power of Rome. Governments are threatened. Because if Jesus is Lord, guess who's not Lord? Anybody else. Kim Jong-un is threatened. President Xi is threatened. Vladimir Putin is threatened. We'll cross Alaska into the United States and say the United States government is threatened. God is not redeeming the world through the government of the United States. He is redeeming the Lord through the world through the lordship of Jesus. Which means then, to go back to where we started, we have brothers and sisters who acknowledge this lordship, who don't live in this country, who don't wear my same skin or my same clothes, who don't wear my same ideology. So we're going to hash into all this here in the next couple of weeks, all right? Jesus is Lord. What does that mean? I want to ask you one question. I want to just open us up for a few uh, minutes of dialogue here. Because I, I told Emily the other day, I left the sermon a couple weeks ago, and I said, man, it sure would be nice. Because you just pour your heart out in a sermon, and some people look at you, some people don't. You can sort of get a vibe off some people, some people you can't. I got in the car with her, and I said, man, I put a lot into that thing. And you just, we just eat. And we don't talk about it again. Some people come and say, that's pretty good, Cody. And like, I, that's great, you know. But what was good? What did you even hear, you know? So Emily said, why don't you start opening up for some little dialogue after the sermon? So we're going to start that today. Um, but here's what I want us to see before we do that. We are continuing the mission God started in the beginning with Adam, that he reinstituted with Abraham, that he brought to a climax in Jesus, and alongside a people he has created, empowered by his spirit, to renew, subdue, and restore creation. We're going to get into everything from generational curses to demons. Everything from our loyalty to Jesus to our loyalty to this nation. We're going to hash it all out. It's going to be a long road together. But I want to ask you this. How many of y'all, when you hear the word evangelize or the word mission, how many of y'all throughout your life have thought, I don't want to be an evangelist. I don't want to bear witness to Jesus. I don't want to witness. So witness for us has been what? Somebody tell me, when you thought about witness right now or as a kid, what did you think that like, had you like grossed out? What is witnessing? It requires you to be an unprompted public speaker, Right? A public speaker who invokes conversation rather than responds to it. Well, who wants to do that? And not only are you invoking yourself, but now you have to be an expert in soul conversion. Because that's what the conversation's about. 
There you go. Yeah, you got to be willing to die. Take a whip. <laughs> Piles of rejection. That's right. To perfect, to perfectly witness, we have to be perfect. Otherwise, in our evangelizing, we're immediately going to be hit with the phenomenon of criticism. Great news for us. This is not evangelism. Praise God. God has called us to be witnesses. He has called us to proclaim the euangelion, which is what it means to evangelize. Neither of those look like knocking on doors saying, Did you know Jesus died for your sin? Mm -mm. Although that's true. That is not evangelism. And we'll talk about what that is. But here's what I want us to see then. Something about the early church proclamation of the gospel and mission was not the response to an obligatory command, but it was something they could not contain. They could not not evangelize. You ever had good news? How hard is it to keep it? You ever been the one told the secret that your friend is pregnant? How hard is that one to keep? Uh, how hard is it? I remember when I would show up to college, I was always the first one in my classes. I'd show up and the professor would have a note on the door, class is canceled. Uh-oh. You ain't gaily on time. I'd run down to the bottom meeting my friends like I had done it. No class today! Like, like I was the one that decided about it. But I got the news before everybody else did. We ain't done nothing either. We just got the news before some other folks did. And what we're about to see is how good this thing is. Because what God has done is created a people, and he has decided to bless a people. This is going to sound like prosperity gospel for a little while. Except the thing we're not going to do is we're not going to stake a dam up to the blessing. We're going to see that he blessed a people so that they could bless the ones who had not yet heard about him blessing a people. God has not given you extra money so that you can build another thing at your house to keep you away from more folks. What if he gave you more money because you're about to have a phone call this week of somebody who ain't blessed? That's the way blessing works. Oh, shoot. No, it ain't. No, it ain't. The way blessing works is he blesses us and blesses us and blesses us till we're up on the top, and then people will be like, man. That's what Israel was thinking, which is why they kept falling into captivity. He's decided to bless us with gifts of healing and wisdom and knowledge just amongst us when we get together. Not so that we could hoard it and charge people for it. What the heck? Because people do that. But so that we could find the one who is cursed and give it to them. Well, give what? The blessing. Here's who we are. We are a people called out from the world to be blessed for the sake of the world. 
It's a very interesting strategy the church has right now where the folks who aren't blessed, rather than deciding and trying to figure out a conduit to get the blessing to them, we point to them and say, devil worshipers, curse them, God. Send down tornadoes on them. Destroy their families. This is Christian language right now. Proper Christian language says, put me in position, God, to bear witness. Bear witness to what? What you were doing gracefully without my efforts that I can then freely give the thing I freely received. <laughs>